Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you're listening to this. I'm doing pretty well. I'm in a busy week. Was at the Rose City Comic Convention this previous weekend, and had the incredible good fortune to be on a panel with Jane Miles of Jane Miles Explain the X-Men. Talked about comic book continuity podcasting and Macho Man Randy Savage, of course. And it was a lot of fun. They were a charming delight as ever. There may have been some audio issues in the recording, which are, I believe, being worked out now. But once we have it available, I'm going to put it up for you so you guys can listen to it. Not sure exactly what the format of that's going to be, but it should be a lot of fun. And it was wonderful to get to hang out with those guys. And... Yeah, so that was really cool. Unfortunately, something else happened this weekend, which was uh, Len Wein died, which is really sad. He's one of my favorite comic creators, and we've been reading his stuff in The Defenders over the past several months, and it's been great. It's been some of my favorite Defender stuff. As you know, he's the guy who co-created Swamp Thing and Storm and Wolverine and Nightcrawler and a whole host of other characters. He co-wrote a few early Teen Titans issues with Marv Wolfman back in the original Teen Titans run, and he also was the editor of the new Teen Titans series that we're covering today and every other week, and he, by all accounts, was a pretty remarkable guy. He also is the writer who is responsible for the Incredible Hulk canonically loving beans, which is a favorite trope of mine. That first showed up in The Incredible Hulk number 182, which is a favorite comic of mine. So yeah, just great job, Len, on your life and your work, and thank you. Enjoy, enjoy. Anyway, let's talk about a comic book, shall we? This comic book has an awful lot of comic book in it. So, without any further ado... Let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Devin Tuhey, and it's a synopsis sonnet, which is pretty fucking rad. Thanks, dude. Shall I say to thee a synopsis rhyme? It might lead to shouts of enjoy, enjoy, or perhaps horns blown for a picket sign, or refusals to rename the beast boy. Of Namor's hubris or dick punches we'll hear, as strange taunts the Hulk and syrup is drank. And if one is drugged so they confront their fear, Mr. Jupiter, they'll certainly thank. And what are the doings of Aqualad? Where wander he and Beaky, his true friend? Is he swept up in the time's latest fad, or seeking more water at hour's end? Learn these matters and more, you will, I wis, as I impart to you this synopsis. Synopsis. Dang! Thanks, Devin. I'm I'm overwhelmed. New Teen Titans, number 24, October 1982. Citadel Strike! Written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by George Perez, with inks by Romeo Tangal. New Teen Titans Roll Call. Starfire, Robin, Kid Flash, Raven, Beast Boy, Wonder Girl, Cyborg. Previously in the New Teen Titans. 
After scoring at best a Pyrrhic victory over the forces of supposedly Septicentennian cult-leading creep Brother Blood, the Titans celebrated it by returning home and getting yelled at by an assistant district attorney who didn't even have the common courtesy to fight crime alongside trained bees. The non-apiary amigoed ADA ordered the teens to promise to lay low and be on their best behavior. The Titans agreed, but then Starfire went berserk and started randomly blasting the city with her magic space punches. Bad timing! But the destructive rampage wasn't the Tamaranian princess's fault. It turned out that Coriander's asshole sister, the mundanely monikered Princess Commander, was now working with those farty little Godzilla space monsters from New Teen Titans number one, the Gordanians. Those slave trading assholes! Commander had, well, commanded the gassy Godzillas to blast Starfire with a now you go crazy ray, and then kidnap the superheroic sibling. The evil plan worked, and after jamming a space bucket over Starfire's head, the flatulent space lizards grabbed the orange-skinned ingenue and fucked off back to their mothership to deliver their victim to her sinister sister. With the aid of the canonically greatest teen titan of all time, Aqualad. Hooray! Our heroes were able to refurbish two Gordanian space miatas, which they used to pursue their cosmically kidnapped comrade. Robin concocted the brilliant plan to go straight up until they ran into some evil and then... something something? Rescue Starfire? Go back to Earth. The first part of the plan worked splendidly. The team caught up with the Gordanian mothership in no time. Hooray! Unfortunately, the part of the plan where they fought an entire armada of heavily armed alien spaceships with no weapons or spacesuits didn't go so great. The alien assholes beat the shit out of the Titans, ripped Cyborg's legs off, and shot them into deep space to die. Then Commander Commander tortured the shit out of her captive sister. But hey, at least the going up part worked. Luckily for our subpar at strategizing super teens, Raven was able to wrap the gang in her magic astral bird cocoon thing which shielded them from the effects of the vacuums of deep space just long enough for the team to drift near the Justice League satellite watchtower headquarters. Hooray! Unfortunately, the JLA wasn't at home right then. Oh no! Except for Superman, who pushed a button which dragged them to safety. Gadzooks! How will Superman aid our heroes in their quest to liberate their Tamaranian teammate? How will the Titans redeem themselves after the first part of their poorly planned purloined princess pursuit? And will we ever have a more redundant name than Commander Commander? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so by hosting a meet and greet and arranging for them to carpool with a bunch of aliens we've never seen before, they hail a space uber and then get captured by their enemies almost immediately after they get out, and we meet a tiger man named Tigor. So, there's that. After rescuing the Titans from Deep Space Demise, or to be more specific, after pushing the button that rescued the Titans from their Deep Space Demise, Superman explains to our adolescent amateur astronauts that he would just love to help them out with the rescue of their teammate, but due to some recent malarkey involving magic, time travel, and a couple of substitute Satans, the Man of Steel only has some of his superpowers right now, so he's afraid that lending a hand is just out of the question. I mean, sure, he still has his super strength, but what use would that be in a fight? But not to worry. Superman has something to offer that is way more useful than his legendary planet-pulverizing prowess. See, the Earth's yellow sun also gives Kryptonians super networking abilities, and the Man of Tomorrow broke out his super Rolodex and arranged a rideshare for our titular Titanic teens. Hooray! Ooh, ooh, I hope it's Space Cabby. Oh, or Doiby Dickles. Well, it turns out that the ride that Clark has arranged for his adolescent amigos is a group of alien warriors named the Omega Men. Oh, good, the Omega Men. 
I love those guys. I mean, they may not have a space taxi or a Brooklyn accent or a sweet derby, but they, uh, they, they exist. They had their own book for a while. Lobo was in it sometimes, I, I think. They got a Greek letter in their name, so probably they're in some kind of a space frat or something. Look, look, I'm going to be honest with you. That's pretty much all I know about the Omega Men. Maybe Superman can clear some things up. The Last Son of Krypton explains that the Omega Men are a group of aliens that are from the same star system as Coriander. Turns out they hate the asshole slave traders the Citadel that Starfire's piece-of-shit sister and her farty Godzilla-looking underlings work for. Each member of their team is from a different alien race, and they each have an axe to grind with the Citadel. The Omega Men reckon that if rescuing Starfire is going to piss off their Citadelian oppressors, then they are more than happy to give them a lift. The extraterrestrial Uber operators introduce themselves. They got a Nosferatu-looking dude named Nimbus, a creepy space parrot lady named Harpus, a big bulky dude made out of rocks named The Thing, I mean concrete, I mean bad rock, nope, nope, brute, that's right, brute. There's a space tiger man imaginatively named Tigor, a orange space wizard lady you can tell is from a different planet than Starfire because her name is Callista with no apostrophes, and then there's Callista's husband, Primus, a white dude. Want to guess who their leader is? Yeah. Les Claypool, I mean Primus, tells the Titans that he and Callista with no apostrophes already know Starfire, seeing as how they trained with the same walrus warrior monks on the planet of Okara. Well, what do you know? Small universe. Anyway, Robin offers to pitch in for gas and our heroes pile into their new buddy's spaceship and blast off. Meanwhile, millions, yeah, probably millions, of miles away aboard her Gordanian slave trader ship, Commander Commander is being a real dick to her captive younger sister. She's all torturing her and yelling at her and bragging about how she killed all of Starfire's friends and is probably going to kill her too soon. Shitty. I mean, I got an older sister too, so I know how it goes, but... Still, this seems a little excessive. Coriander agrees and busts free from her captivity, declaring her intent to commit sororicide. Hooray! I mean, hooray for Starfire, not for the idea of sororicide in general. No offense, Meg. I love you. Unfortunately, Commander smacks her younger sibling down with relative eh, ease and chains her back up. Boo! Then the elder sibling informs her sister that she's been watching her exploits on Earth and has decided that Starfire is a dumb name, and to make fun of her for choosing it, she's going to go by the even dumber name of Blackfire. So there. Uh, yeah. Pretty sure I'm still going to call you Princess Commander. Before long, the sibling-enslaving supervillain and her kidnapped Coriander cargo arrive at their destination, the Citadel. The Citadel is a fortress of a planet. You see... A long time ago, the Citadel's enemies blew up their moon. And what do you do when life gives you a blown-up moon? You make blown-up moon aid. That's what. The citizens of the Citadel, Citadelians? Went ahead and built lasers and bases and stuff on all the moon bits that were now in orbit around their planet. And now they got themselves an impenetrable planetary fortress. Keen. See, this is what I'm talking about. If we blew up our moon, I bet we could have all kinds of cool shit. Fuck the moon. I don't see what's so great about tides. Anyway, Commander Commander grabs her chained-up sister and takes a shuttle to the surface of the Citadel homeworld. When she gets there, a cool-looking four-armed yeti warthog who is standing on guard tells her to wait a minute, so she uses her evil magic space fire to blow him up. Dick move, Commander! 
Meanwhile, back on the Omega Men spaceship, Cyborg and Beast Boy are goofing off. So, the creepy space parrot lady tells them everybody has to do stuff on a spaceship. So, go push some buttons or twirl some knobs or something. The other Omega Men agree with her, so soon all the other Titans start randomly poking at control panels to help out. Um, okay. Good helping, guys. I guess driving a spaceship is kind of like playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3. You just randomly mash buttons and hope something cool happens. Oh, hey, I guess in both situations you have to listen to Primus, too. Huh, turns out I'm an astronaut. The only member of the crew that isn't delighted with a Titan's can-do button-mashing attitude is a mean old lizard lady we've never seen before named Demonia. She tells everyone that the Titans don't know what they're doing and are going to get everybody killed and that the Omega Men should probably just dump them into space and be done with it. I mean, I hate to say it, but she kind of has a point. The white dude Omega Man tells the Titans not to listen to her. Demonia is just a racist, evil, space lizard asshole and nobody likes her. Guess every workplace has one. Back on the Citadel planet, a different, non-vaporized four-armed Yeti warthog is guiding Commander to meet with her boss. Oh good, because we're less than halfway through this comic and we've only met like eight new characters. Why not? Commander's boss is the warlord leader of the Citadel, Lord Damien. As we meet him, he is strangling one of his servants to death for doing a bad job brushing Damien's teeth. Once his employee is dead, Damien orders the corpse of the offending toothbrusher to be prepared as a feast for Damien and his entourage. Yeah. So a few notes about Lord Damien. He looks kind of like a muscly, jet-black version of Grimace from McDonaldland, but with enormous white teeth. He also talks in kind of a weird Jar Jar Binks way, where he always refers to himself as me. He also keeps talking about the fact that he eats people, and his interactions with Commander and Starfire are threatening, hypersexual, and infantile all at the same time. He is described as both a savage and a brilliant warlord. All that combined with his appearance makes me, well, more than a little uncomfortable. I'm not sure if it's intentional, but he comes off as kind of like a racially insensitive caricature of Idi Amin. It's not great. Commander presents the captive Starfire to Damien, who tries to kiss her. Coriander briefly escapes, but Commander blasts her and she is quickly recaptured. Damien threatens to eat both sisters, but doesn't. They instead go to a feast where Damien and his entourage, including Commander, dine on the flesh of his murdered servants. Also, during the course of the meal, he puts on a fez for some reason. So, there's that. As the ghoulish repast is concluding, a nerdy little green dude in a pink turtleneck comes out. He is a scion, a race that has been at war with the Citadel since forever, but for whatever reason, he is on the Citadel's side in the current war. He explains to the assembled cannibal dignitaries who are gathered what the new evil plan is to crush the rebellion's spirits. They're going to kidnap the living goddess, Zahal. Yeah, that ought to do it. Commander is inwardly skeptical as to the feasibility of this plan, but seeing how enthusiastic Lord Damon seems about it, she wisely opts to keep her doubts to herself. Who is the living goddess Zahal? She's a goddess. Who's living? Starfire swears by her blood from time to time. We'll meet her in a little bit. Because Lord knows we haven't met enough new characters in this issue yet. Speaking of which, back on the Omega Men spaceship, the gang is approaching the planet Okara. You know, the place where those walrus yeti warrior space monks live? Also, 
turns out that Zahal lives there, too. Okay. Well, I guess in this economy, even a goddess needs roommates. As the crew prepares to land, we meet another Omega Man, Oron. Sheesh. How many of these people are jammed into that clown car of a spaceship? Oron basically looks like Primus, which is to say, long-haired white dude in a cape, only he seems to be made out of some kind of luminous metal. Oh, and also, I guess he's Zahal's son. So he's half-god. On his mom's side. Once they get to the surface of Okara, the gang heads into some kind of sacred tunnel or something, and Oron has a little chat with his mom. He's like, Mom, I'm tired of having eternal life and killing people for you, which is totally a thing that you keep making me do. Can you kill me, please? Zahal, who looks kind of like Starfire, only made out of light, is like, No way! You gotta go kill more jerks for me! Oron goes, But mom, I'm sick of killing jerks! I wanna die! But Zahal is like, Don't but mom me, mister! Those Citadel jerks are here now, so you kill those jerks and kill them good! Sure enough, at that moment, the skies above Okara begin to darken with the shadows of thousands of Citadel ships. Oh, snap! Left with no choice but to obey his semi-celestial mom's bidding, Oron takes to the sky and starts killing space jerks. Take that, space jerks! The space jerks that do manage to avoid getting killed land on the surface of Okara, and everybody fights everybody. While the rest of the Titans are mixing up with the Citadel space jerks on the planet's surface, Robin signals Beast Boy and Cyborg to set that secret clever plan he's been working on into motion. Gotta say, the Boy Wonder's recent track record for clever plans doesn't exactly inspire a ton of confidence. The last one got him tossed unconscious into deep space with Cyborg's legs ripped off, and the one before that got the team almost eaten by a giant spider, then yelled at by a B-less assistant district attorney. Oh well, I'm sure this clever plan will work out. Beast Boy changes into the shape of a Gordanian and grabs Robin and Cyborg, throwing them over his shoulder as his prisoners. The green teen manages to get himself and his prisoners loaded onto a transport vessel headed back to the gassy Godzilla monster's mothership. So far, so good. I'm feeling guardedly optimistic about this clever plan. Then Beast Boy says words, and the aliens on the ship immediately identify him as a spy and point their ray guns at him. Whoops. To be continued. So, seriously, what the fuck just happened? I still don't really know who the Omega Men are. And joining us once again is my good for many things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing okay. By the time this is released, we will have been on a panel with Jay and Miles. Woohoo! And I'm just going to say, it went amazingly. It was awesome. So good. Could you believe all those special guests? Hardly. And special effects. Yeah, it was the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We have not actually recorded it yet, but we will soon, and then, oh, time, man. Time and space. Mm. We're all just babies, man. Oh. So, what'd you think of this comic? I liked it. Okay. My first notes are, what the fuck just happened? There like, are so many characters and so many things, and very little Teen Titan things. It's crazy. Like, I really, I had to read it like three times, and I'm still not entirely sure what happened. Mm. There was so much going on. I'm honestly not even sure if I liked it or not. There were things in it that I liked. There were things in it that I didn't like. It was all a rich booyah base of confusion. Yeah, I think that's that's accurate. I, I enjoyed the ride. I thought the, the art was pretty spectacular. I really enjoyed the sci-fi imagination. I did feel like 
I don't know, maybe they were a little sick of writing Teen Titans. Yeah, this felt like they were trying to force the Teen Titans into a X-Men style story. Hmm. The Omega Men being like the Star Jammers. I don't know, maybe it was the apostrophes that threw me. But speaking of apostrophes, we meet the Omega Men, who mm-hmm. are all different kinds of aliens. Mm-hmm. Their leader, of course, is a white dude. Mm-hmm. Like, he's the only humanoid, like, human dude, human-looking dude. I guess he's probably not technically a human man from Earth like I am, mm, Corey. Uh, uh-huh. I, I can't stress this enough. I'm a human man from Earth. Uh-huh. My main question was, though, if all these assholes are supposed to be from space, where the fuck are their apostrophes? They got none? Then none of them had any goddamn apostrophes. And some of them are from the same system as Coriander, right? Yeah. And Commander. Yeah. And their brother, Colander. (laughs) So, clearly... Yeah, what's going on, man? They got spelling problems. Clearly. They got a lot of problems, too. So we meet the Omega Men. And the Omega Men apparently have a rich backstory at this point. I know it was a series in the 80s, and I was like, I'm probably a little lost because I haven't been reading the Omega Men comic book. Mm -hmm. The Omega Men comic book didn't start until a year after this. This was the first time they showed up? No, they had showed up previously in a few issues of Green Lantern. Hmm. But I really felt like we were being dumped into the middle of some pretty heavy Omega Men continuity, and I don't think that was the case. They were also created by Marv Wolfman, who had been writing Green Lantern at the time. I think it's like a lot of continuity issues. Like if you're talking to somebody and you don't know what you're talking about. Right. If you speak with great confidence. Sure. You can often pull it off. Okay, that's true. I don't understand what that's a metaphor for. Like these guys. They're just like, they've been around, they have a rich backstory, sure. Sure, okay. I just must have not read it. Oh, wait, no, it happened a year later. Yeah, no, I I was really confused by that and was more confused by the fact that we are introduced to the six Omega Men that are on the JLA Watchtower and Superman does his everybody meet everybody moment. They agree to give the Titans a lift back to the vegan system. Yep. Kind of ironic that it's called the vegan system, seeing as it's a place where apparently there's a fair amount of cannibalism happening. Not vegan. No, not at all vegan. That's like the least vegan thing you can do. Is Mm -hmm. eat your humanoid servants who are sentient beings? Yep. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Mm, Maybe the second least vegan thing that you can do. First being? Not tell anybody that you're a vegan. (laughs) (laughs) Zing! I also don't do CrossFit. Oh, very good, very good. So we are introduced to the Omega Men, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll try to keep track of who these guys are. And then when they get on their ship, we meet two more Omega Men that we had never seen before. Because I was like, wait, who's this fucking Oron guy? Did we meet him already? I thought He's, he was... He just pr- sh- shows up. I thought he was Primus, because they look the same, except for one of them's made out of light. And I was like, oh, is his thing that he makes a light projection of himself? I had the same thought. I was like, wow, when he gets ready to fight? He just turns into, like, a laser man version yeah. of himself. Yeah, he's, he gets all silver surfered up and just goes into battle. No, that's apparently totally different dude whose mom is a god who's kind of a dick. Yep. It's like, mom, I don't want to have to kill everybody for you. It sucks. <laughs> and she's like, shut up. Go kill those people. Shut up, reverse Jesus. It's like, okay, fine. <laughs> totally. You will kill for my sins. What? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, reverse space Jesus. I didn't know what was going on with him. <laughs> and then we also meet Demonia, who I guess they didn't bring on to the Justice League Watchtower either. I was like, oh, I thought we knew all these guys. And I kept flipping back and forth to see, like, 
Wait, did we meet them already? I have a theory on that. So Perez was maybe watching some old horror movies. Sure. Which included both Nosferatu. Okay. And The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Those are good times. Mm-hmm. And then maybe one with a harpy in it. <laughs> so, yeah, one of them is Harpus, a bird lady. Man. Is it a man? Yeah, yeah. Harpus is the masculine. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> I just assumed that because they have feathers covering up nipples. There's uh, no one nipples piece in feather. the DCU. Well, or on birds. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, so, is the platypus a bird? We were discussing that earlier. Regardless of whether a platypus <laughs> is a bird, which, frankly, nobody knows. Science is still trying to work that one out, Corey. It is the only creature you can be stranded on a desert island with and still make your own eggnog. I'm just saying. Might be a bird. It might be a bird with nipples. So, yeah, I had assumed that Harpus was female. Uh, you think Harpus is a dude? I see no evidence of either, frankly. <laughs> okay. We both made our own assumptions on that one. And uh, kind of interesting to note that. Editor's note. Hi, this is Hub. I'm the editor. According to the internet, Harpus is in fact I think part of why I assumed Harpus was a woman was because when we were talking earlier, you did your Harpus impression. Mm -hmm. Can we hear your Harpus impression? I need the dialogue. Okay, let's see. Primus, why are we delaying our departure? We have the fuel to return home. So that's your bird voice. And to me, that sounds like... The scary parrot lady from Zoobly Zoo, who terrified me as a child. I don't know what that is. Oh, yeah, no, it was Zoobly Zoo. For a second, I thought that I had mixed up <laughs> Zoobly Zoo with the new zoo review, and whew, thank God I had them straight. Scary parrot lady was from the Zoobly Zoo, mm. which was hosted by Ben Vereen. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. There was a kind of funny thing that I noticed in the background of that everybody meet everybody scene. Mm -hmm. So they're on the JLA Watchtower. There's a nice fancy tea service that's out on the table. For some reason, I assume that's Martian Manhunter. I don't know why. He seems like, like his that. thing. He seems like a super classy dude. Mm -hmm. Also, there is strict assigned seating on the Watchtower. Everybody has their own little logo on the back of their chair. I didn't notice that. Well, let me show it to you because there was one thing about that. See, that one's Batman's chair. That one's Green Lantern's chair. Oh, I and see. I think just in the time she was on the moon, Raven was like, I would like to sit in that chair. And she drew a little crow on there. Got a Sharpie out. And... Yep, got an Azerathian Sharpie out there and really just vandalized the watchtower, drew her own little mm -hmm. tag on some shit. Mm -hmm. I'm actually pretty sure that's probably Black Canary's chair, but I didn't know that Black Canary was in the Justice League at that point. But that's probably what's going on. Nah, it's probably Raven. It's probably Raven. You're right. She's just putting her own little shitty tag on all of the furniture I in the satellite. In. <laughs> I'm a teen. <laughs> this is how they told me to teen it up. Mm. Vandalism. Am <laughs> I cool now? Can I join your gang, the Chicklets? Uh, it's an episode of Punky Brewster. Oh. Sorry. I remember three things from Punky Brewster. The super scary one where they melt into a cave by some evil demons. Uh -huh. The one where she gets stuck in a fridge. And the one where a group of tough kids tries to get her to join a gang called the Chicklets, and to do so, she has to shoplift. Oh, shit. I think I have a vague memory of that. And I also remember that when they showed reruns of Punky Brewster on WLVI... Kids Club. It wasn't part of the Kids Club. That was just for cartoons, Corey. Oh, because that was a grown-up show. <laughs> yes. 
with adult situations mm. like trapping yourself in a fridge mm-hmm. and not stealing gum. Right. But the theme song that they used was a parody of the song Funky Town that was Punky Town. Oh. Yeah, it was really bad. Mm. Anyway, you want to talk about this Teen Titans comic? Yes. We talked about how we meet Demonia later. Apparently, Demonia is an evil person mm-hmm. who is soups racist uh, against everybody but other Creatures demon people from, from her planet. Sure. But she's a member of the Omega Men. And Raven is just like, she's a real jerk and I can sense that she hates us and wants to kill us all, but she's part of their team. We're guests here. Okay. And Demonia starts talking shit about the Teen Titans and Primus. Is it Primus? It's Primus. Okay. (laughs) Do you think that's where Les Claypool got the name? No. Okay. Primus is like, Demonia, speak English in front of our guests. It's rude. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Primus apparently speaks the language that she was speaking and knows that what she was saying was, we should kill these guys and throw them off of our spaceship. They're going to slow us down. He thinks it's more polite that she repeat that aloud in English for their guests than for her to speak a foreign language in front of them. I'm saying at that point, let her speak the fucking foreign language. Mm -hmm. Different community standards for rudeness, I suppose. Yep. What do you think Beast Boy was doing to Tigor? Man, I don't know. Maybe a wet willy, but that seems just dangerous. Whatever he was doing seems dangerous. What we are talking about is there is a panel in which Tigor, who is a tiger-looking dude who is a member of the Omega Men, Mm -hmm. hence the name Tigor. There's a lot of that going on. Mm -hmm. There's a big burly guy who's named Brute with two O's. Yeah, Brute. Harpus is uh, kind of harpy. There's a Nosferatu-looking guy. I think he can turn into a cloud, which is why he's named Nimbus. Kalista? I don't know why she's called Kalista. That's the closest to a name that we've got. And Primus is a white dude. He looks like a jerk. He does. He doesn't act like a jerk. But yeah, he. there's it's something about him that he has looks a very like a jerk. jerky posture. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan. Which Omega Man is your favorite? I don't know. Primus, his actions were, I think, pretty just, but he just really seems like a tool. Sure. I'm going to go with... Uh... Harpus scares me like the parrot from Zoobly Zoo. Okay, so that's out. That's out for me. Brute seems pretty chill. Yeah. I like that Nimbus looks like a Dracula man, but isn't a Dracula man. That's pretty fun. I think he might be my favorite, but I, I also do like Tigor the Tiger. I'm going with Tigor because it kind of reminds me of um, Thundercats. Oh, okay. That's fair. But like a 90s version. Only in the 80s. Well, 90, yeah, his stripes. You think his stripes tattoos. look like tribal tattoos. Mm-hmm. And he's got leather pants. <laughs> Tight leather pants. Yeah. It's a good look. Okay. I mean, for a tiger man. For a tiger man in the early 80s, I think it's an okay look. Yeah, I'm not saying we should all go... Get tribal tattoos and wear leather pants. And no shirt. Yeah, no, I'm not You're saying You're not that. saying that? For once? Okay, I like the Nosferatu looking dude. And okay. I like that his name is Nimbus. Nimbus. Seems like a fun Dracula. Okay, so there's this scene where everybody's getting to know everybody else. And Changeling is doing something or has just done something to Tigor. And Tigor just says, stop that kid or else. He's pulling his hand back really quickly. The other thing that is happening in that panel is it looks like, I think Cyborg is supposed to be saying that his leg repair went pretty good. Mm -hmm. Because he's kind of hunched over and he's picking up one knee. But the fact, the way that he is bending over makes it look like he is looking at Donna's butt. 
And what he is saying is, hey, not bad. Not bad at all. <laughs> kind of creepy. There is also something going on a couple of panels before that, which is part of what makes me wonder what Beast Boy is doing, where Kid Flash is holding one of Cyborg's legs in place while Cyborg does some, like, weldy shit on it. Mm -hmm. And with the other leg... Beast Boy is jamming some kind of a screwdriver into Cyborg's leg distractedly while he looks the other direction. And I just picture him saying, I'm helping! Yeah. Yeah, that's so, pretty much what it looks like. I wonder if maybe Beast Boy was then just like, I'm gonna help and fix up Tigor's shoulder, too. Mm -hmm. Just jamming a screwdriver into him. No, I think he's just poking him. Yeah, it's a weird thing to do to a tiger man. Yeah. I don't understand a lot of the choices that Beast Boy makes. Why is Commander such an asshole when her sister is so nice? Well, I think that's something you'll find a lot of times with the younger sibling. <laughs> where are we going Where the this? older sibling is evil and horrible uh -huh. and likes to murder people for no reason. And the younger sibling is... A force for good and love in the world. Mm -hmm. I think that's a dynamic you'll run across pretty commonly. Yeah. <laughs> you you haven't found that to be the case? Uh, no. No? No. I mean, it's just, it doesn't make any... How often do you murder, Corey? I have murdered no times. No times. Okay. Hmm. That's kind of weird, because you are the older sibling. I know. It is confusing to me. Have you not had the opportunity to murder? Uh, has anyone ever made you wait momentarily to come in from a situation that was chilly? I guess. Like when you knock on a door and somebody doesn't open it right away? Yeah. Has that ever happened to you? Sure, probably. And you didn't murder them? Nope. Hmm. Well, there goes that theory. Okay. So, yeah, why though? I think they're supposed to be like, there's a jealousy thing going on with her and Starfire that they hint at. She talks about the fact that everyone always loved her because she was nice to people, but they feared Commander. I think some of it might have to do with her being named Commander. Like, I mean, there's obviously a nature-nurture issue. We don't know which led to her being evil. And we've got a few years to wait on some of the celebrity child names, like Pilot Inspector, before we see if that kid turns out evil. Uh, but there is, at least one might suspect, perhaps a downside to naming your daughter Commander. I don't know. It's. I think it's a pretty well-established trope in comic books that there's a at least a pretty good chance that a superhero sibling will be evil. There's a fair amount of those. I know Nick Fury's brother's soup's evil. Aquaman's brother is the Ocean Master. He's a real jerkwad. Mm, that's true. I mean, yeah, she is super evil, and she's a, she's a real asshole in this. But her motivation was like, yeah, she seems like she's an asshole. I guess she's just evil. <laughs> Maybe she gave herself those eyebrows because she's evil. Maybe she's evil because because yeah, she has eyebrows a... like that. Yeah, I, there's some evil ass eyebrows. They're super evil. I brought up the scene earlier. She arrives on the Citadel planet. She kills a guard almost immediately because she's like, let me in. It's chilly out here. He's like, I've been waiting here for a year. Yes, it's very chilly, but the rules are you have to wait until the spaceship arrives before I can let you in. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, Oh, but look, there's the spaceship. Now you can go inside. Good for you. And she's like, no, fuck you. You're going to burn in hell like a dog. You'll be warm now because you'll roast in hell and also with this bolt that I blast at you. And she kills him. And his family will never know what happened. Yeah. 
It's a bummer, man. Yeah, she's a jerk. She is. And that like that particular type of guard that they illustrate, he's like a Yeti pig man. Those See, are really they, interesting. They seem really cool looking and they, they are really cool looking. And there's something about the way that they're drawn that like they have almost like a sad nobility to them. And they show them a few different times. They look like um, Oni, like the Japanese demon characters. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hmm. There's some uh, like uh, masks. Oh, that are carved to look like that. That yeah, they're basically just demons from Japanese mythology. Cool. They're, they're cool looking dudes though. Four arms. But that scene, there is, and it comes up a couple of times in this book, and it's something that I haven't noticed in a Teen Titans comic before, at least not in the Wolfman Perez Teen Titans run. There is a disconnect in a couple of scenes between the art and the writing that I'm not used to seeing. Hmm. In that one specifically, there's no art to go with the there's writing. There's no art to go with the writing. It's, like, it's as though after the whole scene was done, then Wolfman was like, I'm worried I didn't make Commander evil enough. Exactly. Because yeah. what we see in the picture is the Oni looking dude looking out over the bleak landscape, holding his guard rifle in one hand. But the captioning says, a deadly blast of Blackfire's Starbolt ends the guard's life. His family will never know how he died. But we don't see that. Normally we would see something that would indicate that, but it's a weird almost afterthought. He also is saying that a ship is approaching and landing, and we don't see that either. This whole comic feels different than the other. It feels really disjointed. There's another scene where I was just, just talking about the disconnect between the art and the writing. They go to Okara, which we've seen briefly in some of uh, Starfire's flashbacks. It's the place where all of the Space Walrus Jedi monks... Warriorsville. Yeah. This, and it seems like a pretty cool place. All of the Titans remark on how amazing and mystical and cool looking the place is. And we don't see that at all. We see like a couple of tunnels. There's one scene where there's like a destroyed open air amphitheater type thing. Perez can draw some amazing looking fucking landscapes. We've seen his depictions of Azeroth and Tamarand. This is nothing like that. This is really bleak and doesn't betray any of the majesty that they all describe seeing. It's really strange. That said, the space scenes earlier when Beast Boy and others are are gawking out the windows of the spaceship are drawn really awesome. No, those really are. And the interiors of the spaceship are drawn really cool. I really love the setup of that spaceship. But even with that, there was a line when they are discussing what is happening in interstellar flight. I like most of it. They're bringing up, like, hey, interstellar flight is no fucking joke. You've got to take this shit seriously. And who says that, Corey? Is it Primus? No. Oh, it's our friend Harpus. Yes, and she says what you originally read to me. <laughs> Earthling, listen to Tigor. Oh, he's, he's from New England. Okay. Listen to Tigor. There was no time for sightseeing in space. Our very lives depend on working together. See, I think it would be like, Earthling, listen to Tigor. No time for sightseeing in space. Our very lives depend on working together. That's way more parrot-like. Yeah. See? You see where I'm coming from, man. Scary. Yeah, yeah, parrots can be creepy. But, okay, this this whole premise, too, that, like, hey, we all need to work together and everybody has a job to do on a spaceship is batshit crazy because... Okay, it makes sense that everybody would have to work together and have a job to do on a spaceship. If they knew what they were doing. But they don't know what they're doing, and you're right, it's weird, because they just just got Robin sitting around fiddling on a control panel. He's like, I'm gonna pull this lever. Yeah. Uh, is that good? Do you like that? 
Yeah, don't just tell everybody they have to go start pushing <laughs> buttons. Just go do something and push some buttons. But controls must be monitored, computer set and recalibrated, problems solved quickly and precisely. Aboard a starship, there must be complete cooperation between a hundred or more beings. Wait, what? Mm-hmm. How many How many fucking Omega Men are there? A hundred or more. I also like how they premise... Are we going to meet all of them? No. It feels like we fucking did. It does. We met six initially. We meet two more that are just hanging out on the spaceship somewhere. And then we get this weird reference that there's apparently a fucking hundred of them. Or more. Okay. And uh, the the way, too, that, that that whole scene is prefaced, it was pretty funny because it's like trying to like kind of set this tone of gravitas for mm-hmm. like driving a spaceship is hard. Sure. And it's like, despite what you've seen in the movies, yeah. <laughs> it's really complicated. Like, yeah. Oh, thanks. You're childish fiction about space travel does not compare to the reality of this comic book exactly yeah well and it also has like cyborgs looking out at space and being like man space is awesome Mm -hmm. and beast boys being like it is amazing like looking at bikinis at the beach i like girls i'm a teenage boy man (laughs) i'm annoyed with beast boy what Sorry. Okay. But the other funny thing that happens on this spaceship is they've been on this spaceship a while. They're almost at Okara or whatever. And Kid Flash runs in and says, hey, guys, you got to see this ship. Maybe it's really big. Maybe. But, I mean, they've been on the ship for a while. Presumably they have seen it. I know. Wally doesn't do anything in this issue. Except run around a spaceship. Almost nobody does anything in this issue. Almost none of the Titans do anything. Starfire tries to escape a bunch of times doesn't go great we meet lord damien <laughs> which you read as damn, damn. <laughs> i really like i'm gonna adopt that i decided that you are correct and the official pronunciation is lord damn which is more comfortable than the demean if yeah. you want to read it that way yeah i was reading it as damien but there is a lot about this character that makes me uncomfortable You brought up something, and I was kind of glad that you did because I didn't want to be the only person who saw it. But it is very easy to read Lord Dame as being a really broad and terrible racial caricature of Idi Amin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, down to the cannibalism. and Down to the cannibalism, and they put a fucking fez on it, like a, Mm -hmm. a space fez on him at one point. And I'm like, I'm not okay with this especially when you look at the way that he is portrayed as as it's not like i'm a huge defender of Idi Amin. i, I want to make that clear. <laughs> not a fan of the guy but i'm also not a big fan of broad racial caricatures and that is what this feels a little bit like that i think also coupled with the dialogue that they yeah that they chose like the guy's kind of supposed to be an idiot or a a barbarian, uh, or a barbarian savant kind mm-hmm. of uh always refers to himself as me yeah anytime it would be i it's me mm-hmm. it's not a linguistically consistent dialogue which was frustrating just as a reader mm-hmm. his evil is crazily over the top and he is a brutish thug and an idiot and it is played for humor almost but in a really ghoulish way which can work, and I'm, I'm not opposed to that, but I chose to think of him, and it made it easier if I just thought of him as 
He's just like a really evil grimace from McDonald land. Because mm. he's shaped kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Only as very clearly uh, has like pitch black skin mm. instead of purple. But maybe just like black is often drawn as purple. Purple is sometimes drawn as black in comic books. I mean, fair is fair. Yeah, just need the hamburglar to run in and have them chase each other around. Oh, man, he would eat the fuck out of the hamburger. Just bring the levity. Ugh. Yeah, it was uncomfortable for me. Yeah, okay. I I honestly, I was kind of relieved that I was not the only person who saw that. I don't know. I think it's one of those things where sometimes you're like, am I overthinking this? But oftentimes, like if somebody's being a jerk in that way, but they're not saying anything overtly, you have this feeling that this person is being a jerk in that way. It's... If it was not overt, and I'm reading into it, it at least was not handled carefully enough that it was at all difficult to read that into it. This was not a time in yes. comics when things were handled carefully. That's true. It was a different time. When everybody, when everybody was, was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and Lord Damn is terrible. He is a he, he keeps eating his servants. He keeps hitting on Starfire and Blackfire. He's a jerkwad. Super evil, like... The uncomfortable racial associations aside, they are leaning in a little bit too heavily into his evil, I felt like. The guy runs a fucking slave planet. Like, that's that's enough. Yeah, you're right. You don't need to build it that much higher than that. Like, you call this dude evil, he runs a slave planet. Okay, I'm taking your word for it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to gleefully eat his servants that he just murdered. Mm Mm-hmm. What did you think of the full-page spread that was of the Citadel? Like when they first come in on when it? They, when you, they zoom in on the planet and you see that it is surrounded by these big buildings and ships and things. Uh, artistically, just awesome. Yeah. It yeah. looked really cool. It is difficult for me to tell the scale. And I think we're supposed to think that the buildings that are built on the shattered moon that surround it are enormous, but we're so much more used to seeing buildings than we are planets that it actually just made the planet look small. To me. I didn't overthink it. Okay. It's just like, damn, Perez can draw. Yeah, and you're right. Damn, Perez can draw. Like I said, I think there was a disconnect between the art and the story in this, but the art was fucking gorgeous throughout. Mm-hmm. Even little things like, it's nice to see Perez draw Superman. Mm-hmm. Like, he was only in a couple panels, but that's a good-looking Superman, man. So we talked about what an evil fucking jerkle commander is. Mm-hmm. She says that she had been monitoring Coriander on Earth. How the fuck was she doing that? Um, that's, uh, science. Oh. Well, no, I understand the science. I'm not wondering how she can see what's happening on Earth. I mean, how did she see through Starfire's disguise? Well, she had to take those sunglasses off sometime. So she's got, like, 24-hour surveillance on her? Yep. Okay. Well... Space chips. I'm just saying, like, Commander Commander is evil as fuck, but (laughs) if she can see through Coriander's impenetrable disguise of putting on sunglasses, you gotta show a little respect for that. Props. I do also like that we get to hear the phrase, Commander Commander, twice. Yep. I think both times it was Princess Commander. Commander of... Tracker. Of Tracker. <laughs> God <laughs> damn it. The evil spaceship name. Fucking Tamaranians and their apostrophes. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? It's like one of those, if you if you learn to speak Tamaranian, you would just feel like you were making fun of people all the time because you'd feel like every word was ending. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, you ready to launch into the minutiae? Sure. 
Okay, Rick, you feel like singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, what do you feel like starting with? Actually, all of this was really hard because there was so little Titan. There was very little Titan centric story happening, yeah. yes. So, how about the Bozone? Okay, let's take this party to the Bozone. Corey. In this comic book, what instance, either literal or metaphoric, of a character calling another character a bozo do you want to focus on? So, mine isn't great because the insult, playful though it was, was completely lost on the person it was aimed at. Okay. And this is a situation in which Beast Boy jokingly refers to Tigor as Tony the Tigor of Frosted Flakes fame. I believe that was actually Cyborg referring to him that way. I know, it seems sure more in character, uh, but I believe that there's the apostrophe indicating that the speaker is black. <laughs> oh, shit, I missed that. Get a loda, Tony the Tigor. And then Beast Boy says, who appointed you slave driver? Oh, shit. Sorry, Borgie. <laughs> Credit where credits do. Zinger. Yeah, pretty good one. And, you know, I think him and Beast Boy are doing a Mean Girls thing where, like, that zinger wasn't for Tigor's benefit. It was to impress his pal, Mm. Beast Boy, Mm. you know. (laughs) But, yeah, that was was a good one. I decided to go with a somewhat less playful zinger that was delivered by our good friend, Princess Commander. And it is on page six. And I believe she is talking to a Gordanian. Starfire has escaped and is blasting her sis with her star bolts. And a Gordanian wonders if that's something they should do something about. And he says, Commander. I mean, but he doesn't say it with an apostrophe, so he's saying her title, not mm-hmm. her name. Right. Shall we? And Commander's response is, Back, you worthless slugs. Do you think I'm incapable of handling that weak fool? Mm, worthless so, slugs. And weak fool. So... Double. Decided to go with that one. Commander, Commander, or calling everybody else a goddamn idiot. Dang, double zinger. Yeah, not particularly fun, but like you said, it was a tough time finding a bozone in this one. Mm-hmm. Speaking of tough to find, um, sound effects. <laughs> so, there are two different sounds that Coriander and Commander make when they fire their star bolts at one another. Sure, Starfire makes the scree! Yeah. Whereas her evil sisters make the brack, brack sound. But when I first read that, for, for some reason, I, I read it as the noise of like a, like a really abrupt, surprising, loud fart. Like a, like just like... How you, you gotta, you gotta try to say it. <laughs> <laughs> One more time. <laughs> oh boy. And then I just couldn't stop reading. (laughs) Okay, I think if it's making that noise, it's not just a fart. (laughs) Okay, so. And Blackfire is not a bad name for abrupt and unintentional (laughs) diarrhea. (laughs) Uh, I had a bunch of Pepto Abysmal the night before. Yeah, I had Brack just because I thought (laughs) Brack was a funny noise, but now it's a way funnier (laughs) noise if every time she is doing that. It is your assertion that she is sharding. No wonder she's angry. Yeah. Well, you asked why she's evil before. Now we know. What a condition. Indeed. Sartorially speaking, what aspects of 
space fashion would you like to focus upon? Ah, man, there is quite a lot. There really is. The first one that I want to bring up, which we have talked about briefly at least, is Lord Damon's attire, which is a yellow bikini (laughs) with a loincloth bottom. And when he is eating dinner, he puts on a Devo-esque space fez. Mm -hmm. Implications aside, pretty good look. Uh, I don't know if I'd say it's a good look, but it's definitely striking. It is. It is. What else did you want to touch on? Well, we touched on it (laughs) already. Tigor? Yeah. Leather pants, tribal tattoos, no shirt. Tight, knee-length leather pants. Yeah, orange fur and black stripy tribal tattoos. Yeah, man, this guy is ahead of his time. Like, this look would be right at home in a early 90s image comic book. Mm Mm-hmm. If it was a 90s image comic, he would probably have a name like Bloodfang or Claw Face. <laughs> Tiger Fang. Tiger Fang. Nah, it's got to have Bloodfire. Oh, I see. Blood Claw. He would be Blood Claw. Blood Claw. Yeah. So I like the Blood Claws outfit. So you like Blood Claws outfit. <laughs> uh-huh. There is a Scion. They are a race of aliens that are the enemy of the Citadel. Look and like he shows up. Looks a little like Greedo, yeah. But I would like to point out the fact that even in the depths of space, turtlenecks are for nerd. Because he's wearing kind of a baggy turtleneck, and he's a nerd. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of an interesting choice. Good color scheme. It went well with his, you know, green green skin, dark green skin, purple turtleneck. Yeah, green and purple. Good look together. Good Solid. Look. We've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. Incredible Hulk, Lex Luthor, Green Goblin. Doctor Doom. Wait, does Doctor Doom have purple? He's green and metal. Yeah. Probably wears some purple. He's a king. I feel like that's a very regal color. Purple? Yeah. Sure. Sacramento Kings wear purple. Sacramento Kings? Yeah, they're a basketball team. Oh. I always feel like they should wear headbands that are shaped like crowns. I think that's a missed opportunity. If it's a headband, it would come across more like a tiara. Yeah. Which is, I guess, just like a tiny crown. Yeah, it's a little crown. Good luck, Mm. either way. But it can go, like, under your hair, where I feel like a crown has to go over your hair. So if you have long hair... Wouldn't it come down like that? Like a crown? Yeah, but then you can, like, pull it out and flop it over. Wait, how do you pull down a crown and flop it over? No, no, your hair. Oh! Leave the crown alone, man. I want to. Okay. I thought you were the one who was pulling it all over I'm the place. I'm just saying, that's, you don't want to make a tiara out of a crown. I kind of do. Well, you can. You have long okay. hair. Okay, you just told me I couldn't. Did I? Yeah, you oh. said I didn't want to. But maybe I do, Corey. I'm confused, and I'm sorry. That's okay. I forgive you, and I'm also very confused. <laughs> okay. Did you have a show and tell or a timestamp for this one, or both? I had a timestamp for this one. What was your timestamp? My timestamp for this one occurred on page four. I think it was dialogue between Beast Boy and uh, Cyborg. It's difficult to tell because the dialogue comes from off panel. I assumed it was Beast Boy kind of nerding out. No, it is actually once again Cyborg. No shit. Because we see the beginning of the dialogue is Cyborg saying, What she's saying, mister, is that ain't easy thumbing a ride through the stars. And then there's the dashes, and the continuation of the dashes is, even with a copy of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, that big nerd. I love that guy. I do, too. Although, if you really wanted to make a reference for people who had read it, he would say, even if you did bring your towel. 
I know. Um, That's going to be too out there, man. Yeah. I had the same one, and I also wanted to point out a odd reference that Kid Flash made when he was running around and being like, hey, the spaceship that you guys, that we've been on for a long time now, that we've all been hanging out on, you guys should look at it. Yeah, go run around. Yeah, it's fun. I like to run. I'm so fast, you guys. Seriously, very fast. But he follows that up by saying, it makes the JLA satellite look like a Mego toy. Those yeah. are toys from like the 60s and 70s. I like, can th- even... Those are very dated reference. Those toys are like, I think, 8-inch characters that then have cloth costumes that go over them. They had the superhero license in the 60s and I think early 70s. Like the original like G.I. Joe dolls that were the tall Kind of similar. Kind of similar. Huh. But Mo- it's Moses. a very dated reference for Kid Flash to have. I did also have what I'm going to call a show and tell just because it struck me as odd. The scene in which Coriander first escapes and she says loudly to her sister who has killed all of her friends and tied her up and has said that she's going to make her a slave for the rest of her life and is being frankly a real jerk Mm -hmm. starfire busts out of captivity and says commander i i want to kill you it's like she's surprised by it or that it is a reference to the doris song the end which part the Father, I want to kill you. Doesn't he say this, something like that? <laughs> Jesus, man, I don't know. I haven't listened to that for a long time. Uh, I haven't either. That's the curse of a good memory. Yeah, I remember Doors lyrics. <laughs> it's taking up valuable space you could be dedicating to who has green and purple uniforms. That's true. That's why I forgot some of them. That's why I forgot about the abomination. God damn it. Thanks, Jim and- Morrison. <laughs> Annihilus! Ah, lousy Jim Morrison. I'm so glad Aqualad killed him. Mm-hmm. Are we on the panels now? We can be. You want to? Yeah. Okay. I like the panel, which I thought might be a reference to a Doris song, despite the fact that it might be a reference to a Doris song, because I thought it was funny <laughs> that she said, Commander, I, I want to kill you. I had the same panel. Very good. That was not my favorite panel. I also really liked the panel that I talked about earlier where Beast Boy is distractedly jamming a screwdriver into Cyborg's leg and in my mind saying, I'm helping! That was on page four. And I think my favorite was on page 11 and it is the scene in which we are learning that everybody in space has a job to do and it's very important that they do that job even if they don't know how to do it and they've never done it before. Mm Mm-hmm. But the scene itself and the layout of the bridge of the spaceship was really cool looking. So much detail. Although, once again, I never got any idea of what the scale for the spaceship was or how big it was or how many people were on it or any... More than a hundred. I never got that impression and we never saw any of them except for we saw eight of them and that was two more than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. It was very confusing. Do you have any other favorite panels? I also had one from page four with Beast Boy and it's the one we talked about already i called it funny team it's the one where he's bothering tigor and cyborg is maybe looking at donna's butt oh, okay uh, yeah that was pretty fun in particular what i liked about that was the brute character who i'm disappointed we didn't get to see more of because he looked like he could be pretty awesome mm-hmm. it's sort of crouched in the left part of the panel and it illustrates that 
his size, he's just a giant. He's like, real big. Yeah. He's a real brute, if you will. Mm. I mean, but he's not because he seems actually very calm and gentle compared to many of the other members of the crew. Also, he is wearing a one-piece swimsuit. Oh, yeah. Good look. So, every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. And every issue also has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans. Corey, in this issue, who was your Speedy? The whole Speedy Aqualad thing for this issue was super tough. It's difficult because almost nobody did anything. It's going to come down to splitting of hairs. It is. And in this case, the way that the hair split was the only thing Wally did was run around a fucking spaceship. So <laughs> he gets the nod. Okay. He wasn't a jerk, though. I mean, he was he, fine. he wasn't a jerk. You're, you're right. It was a similar thing where we're really getting down to nitpicking for this one. There was the possibility of Beast Boy because he's kind of a jerk. Compares space to bikinis. Com- compares space to scooping out some babes yeah that was which annoying. is lame and just like him trying way too hard there's also the fact that he does screw up at the end and give away that he's not in fact a gordanian when he's dressed up as a gordanian but on the other hand he's the only person who kind of did anything to help the team out in any regard by turning into a gordanian and trying to sneak them past and he did get past one guy so i decided to go with robin And the reason that I chose Robin is he was trained by the world's greatest detective and he doesn't know how to speak Pig Latin. It really bothered me. He messed up. (laughs) He messed up at the end when he is whispering to Beast Boy. Beast Boy is threatening some guards to get them to let him through. Uh, He's dressed up as a Gordanian and he says, are you going to let me through or do I blast you? And Robin says, Ixnay on the Laster Bay. You're overdoing it. Robin, it's Asterblay. Uh. Ixnay on the Asterblay. It's very frustrating. That's a that's a sound cluster. I uh, I groaned when I read that. It was very distressing to me, <laughs> and that is why Robin is my speedy <laughs> in this issue. Because he doesn't know that it's Asterblay instead of Laster Bay. So that's why he's the speedy. Conversely, who was the Aqualad for you in this issue? This also was a tough one. I wanted to give it to Coriander for fighting the good fight. Sure. Um, And I had her in contention for the same reason. But it's just... She doesn't actually do very well in any of those fights. No, she doesn't. And uh, She lets anger cloud her mind. Yep. So, penalty for anger. Sure. And uh, despite the annoying bikini comment... As we touched on earlier, Beast Boy was kind of the most actionable He turned into a Gordanian and tried to sneak them past Almost made it. He just had one screw up at the end, despite Robin's confusing Pig Latin. Yeah. So I I think that's probably what threw him. Oh, yeah. What What are you talking And then he said something about, like, gotta take him to this prison planet. Uh, Oh, no. Laster Bay. Also, he's the only Gordanian wearing a diaper-looking garment? Yeah, I was kind of confused about that as well. Nobody said anything about it. I think maybe that was what tipped the guards off, not him being confused about whether a prison planet was still operational. Just like, dude, you know, none of us are wearing diapers. What? Why are you you wearing a diaper? Yeah, pretty weird. Yeah, seems kind of off. I almost gave it to Beast Boy. Because like I said, he was the only one who kind of did anything really but i think 
much like Starfire, his ineptitude and inability to actually do anything, even though he was the only one who tried, kind of cancels that out. So I actually decided to give it to Cyborg because he had some pretty good quips. Ah, good quips award. I mean, award. You, you kept trying to award the, those quips to Beast Boy, but... Uh, those guys have been spending a lot of time together. That's fair. But he actually said some pretty funny shit, and uh, there's another thing that he said early on. I think it's the first dialogue in the comic. He's carrying his legs in his hands, and Donna goes, Does it hurt, Vic? And he goes, Not Donna. I love getting my mechanical legs amputated. You know how much I dig being reminded that I'm not all human. That's some pretty good sarcasm. Yeah, I didn't enjoy that. I, I just like, it sounded too passive-aggressive. Oh, I think it was pretty clear. I, I think when it's that level of sarcasm, it's just regular aggressive. I don't think that was passive. Yeah, that's true. It still annoyed me. Yeah, I get that. But I would also be pretty annoyed if I was carrying my legs in my hands and one of my friends was like, do you like this? She didn't ask if he liked it. She asked if she was hurt because she was concerned. Yeah. A caring friend. If, if you had blasted both your legs off, I wouldn't be like, does it hurt? I'd be like, get that guy some fucking morphine. Let's go to And I think that's what Vic would like. But I think either way, there's no happy... Either it really hurts, in which case, stupid fucking question, don't ask me about it, I'm trying to walk. No, he's got robot legs, so she was just like... Or he doesn't want to point it out. He's like, you know, I'm fucking self-conscious about having robot legs. Mm -hmm. So why are you bringing it up in front of all of these... People who I thought were from space, but they don't have apostrophes, so maybe they're just weird-looking dudes. Mm, even worse. Yeah. I don't know. I like Cyborg a lot in this issue. And because I don't feel like any of the Titans really did jack shit, I, I went with one that I thought said some kind of funny stuff. Fair enough. And he read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, good on him. Yeah, it's a good book. Well, would you like to speculate as to Wapoot? Oh, what Aqualad is probably up to. I usually go first on this. You want me to go first? No, actually, I should go first. Okay, I... you really faked me out there. Oh, shit. Okay, so we're in October of 1982. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot going on in October of 1982. That's true. This, I kind of... Shit the bed on this one. I, my notes are, War on Drugs, Cats, Epcot Center. <laughs> Wait, okay. And those are all things that happened, and I was trying to tie them together. You've got to at least try, dude. You can't just... I just, I just that word just salad on words. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> uh, okay, so <laughs> in October of 82, Aqualad had gone to New York City. Okay, did he go to see uh, Cats, perhaps because he'd heard his friends hanging out with Tigor? Exactly, and uh, and so he was like, oh, this will be a good time, I'll do that. He got confused on the way into the to the play. And somehow, I'm sorry, Bloodclaw. And uh, he <laughs> found his way backstage mm -hmm. through a series of misunderstandings and um, fell into a pile of cocaine <laughs> that the performers were using to uh -huh. get ready for the, for the show. Okay. Right. I mean, fuck. You try doing rum tum tugger without any handsome powder. Right? <laughs> and then uh, lost his shit, got a Greyhound ticket to, uh, needs this is like, ocean, ocean, I need ocean. Also, right. Still confused. High as balls. Takes Greyhound to Florida. Winds up at Epcot Center. Okay. 
needs the water. Okay. Uh, goes and does the uh, the aquatic. They have a display there with sharks and stuff. He does that. They have a display with sharks there. They do now. I don't know if they did when they opened in they the eighties. He gets out of that and he's like, "Oh, good, I got my water. It's okay. starting to wear off. I'm still feeling pretty weird." Checks in the hotel, flips on the TV, and then has Nancy Reagan yelling at him about drugs are bad. And he's actually feeling a little paranoid from the blow, and then just hightails it back to Atlantis. It was a rough October for Aqualad. <laughs> you, you were partly correct about what Aqualad was up to. He did, in fact, go to Epcot Center, but he went there That's intentionally to try to really psych himself up because he had been asked by some people to go to England, and things have not always gone particularly well for Aqualad in Great Britain. Mm, Mad Mod. The Mad Mod actually was kind of a best case scenario because mostly he's still a little weirded out about the time when an old Scottish ghost hypnotized him into taking part in some salmon malfeasance. Oh, and also murdering an old man by making a whirlwind underwater. Mm. It wasn't great for him. It was pretty traumatic. He was mind wiped on it, but those memories had started to resurface and he's like, okay, I need to put that shit behind me. You know, I need to, like, do some baby steps, ease myself into the idea of Great Britain. (laughs) Epcot Center. (laughs) The perfect way. And so he went to Epcot Center and, like, ordered some fish and chips from a pub there and was like, okay, it's okay, it's okay, here I am. It was a nice entry point. And that actually enabled him to get his shit together to go to England and help raise a ship called the Mary Rose, which had sunk in 1549 That's in old. England. And so he helped bring it up to the surface. Now, while he's over in England, he's like, okay, now that I can be back in England, you remember back in the really early Teen Titans adventure when we saw that they had signed pictures of the Beatles? Mm-hmm. Well, he's like, you know what? I'm going to look up uh, one of my old friends from the Beatles. So he looks up Paul McCartney. And they're hanging out. And Paul McCartney says, Aqualad, I'm going to go to America. I'm going to do a song with Michael Jackson, I am. And, uh, <laughs> and Aqualad's like, oh, well, what, what, do you have, uh, what do you have written so far? And he's like, not very much. Ooh, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really need inspiration. I need to hang out with cool young teens like yourself. And so it was through hanging out with Aqualad, that Paul McCartney became convinced that cool, hip, young teens said, Doggone. (laughs) (laughs) The Doggone Girl is Mine (laughs) was written. And that was what Aqualad was probably up to. That is good to know. It is. It is also good to know for me that I do a terrible Paul McCartney accent. I had always assumed I could do a pretty good one. Nope. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us on this crazy adventure through a comic that I still don't understand. We will be back next week with an exciting episode of The Defenders. Uh, Yeah, we'll have Power Man up in the mix. That'll be fun. Nice. Pretty good. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks and find out what's going on with this crazy space ass shenanigans. Space what? Ass. (laughs) Corey. Okay. Space ass shenanigans. I thought you said it was a Z. No. Space ass. Space ass? Like pizzazz, but in space? 
If you'd like to get in touch with us, you Let's can do go. so at ttwasteland at gmail.com for all your contacting us needs. You can also find us on Facebook and Tumblr and Whiskers on Kittens. <laughs> you can also find us on Facebook. <laughs> we don't normally record this late at night. Um, you can also find us on Facebook and Tumblr. Uh, if you would like to leave us a review on iTunes, I think that would be a really nice thing for you to do. So maybe do that. If you'd like to give us some money, shucks, I love money. It's great. I can use it to buy things, purchase goods and services. That's what I use money for. And you can give us some at <laughs> patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. I'm going to stop talking into this microphone right now because that's probably a good idea. Thanks for joining us. Spazazz! <laughs> that's not a thing. Spazazz! <laughs> Yes, Corey, space ass indeed. Hey, that was yours, my friend. Nope. <laughs> I'm editing the part out where it was mine. Oh, you're gonna look like a crazy person. And they knew it. That's okay. You got to do a lot of coke to make it through a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're so clever. Let, we're so smart. <laughs> <laughs> now let's do a quick fifty minutes about how handsome you think you are. Well, it all started back in 1974. <laughs> For those listening at home, Corey has the sniffles and is not, in fact, blowing huge rails of coke. <laughs> uh.